Hello, friends. Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Hillcrest Covenant Church podcast. This week, we concluded our series called Four. Pastor Jen Zerby spoke out of Isaiah 61, verse 1. Jesus quotes this passage directly in the New Testament and says that he is the fulfillment of this passage. God came to free the captive. But just who is the captive God refers to? Remember, you can watch our live stream that happens Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Or you can find us at hillcrestdecalb.com. Grace and peace. Well, I know that people always say that youngest children are the most spoiled. Maybe that's true. But when you're growing up as the youngest child, it rarely feels that way. Or at least it certainly didn't to me. When you're the youngest child, you watch as each of your siblings are afforded freedoms that you don't have yet. Granted, by the time I became the age at which my brothers received any variety of freedom, there were basically no rules for me at all, but that is beside the point. (laughs) When you're young, everything feels unfair. When I was young, my brothers got to stay up later than me. When I was young, my brothers got to stay out later than me. When I was young, my brothers were allowed to go across to the other side of the tracks, and I had to stay on this side of the tracks. Looking back, we were all really given far too much freedom, but at the time, I resented my brothers for the things that they have had that I didn't have. As we got older, every time I wanted to do something with my friends, I had to have somebody else drive me. I found it very rude that my whole social life was completely dependent on other people, on their availability and their willingness to drive me where I wanted to go when I wanted to be there. But not my brothers. They could just hop in their cars and they could leave whenever they wanted to and go wherever they wanted to go. And I very much resented that. And so at the age of 14, with no driving experience whatsoever, I stole my brother's car. (laughs) One day when nobody was home, and Matt had gone off with his friends. My friend Evan came over and we decided we were going to go see our friend Scott. Now, Scott lived within a 10-minute walk of my house, but I couldn't be bothered. (laughs) And so instead, I grabbed my brother's keys, and with no experience, Evan and I hopped in the car, and off we went. (laughs) Now, clearly, I'm not condoning this behavior. Do we have any te- Nikki, Alex? I'm not condoning this behavior. Okay, just to be clear, it's illegal. It's unsafe. It's a bad idea. But it's because it's now decades behind me, I just will say that it was the most freeing feeling ever. <laughs> I remember turning off of my street and thinking I owned the world. I could do anything and I could go anywhere. In that moment, nobody controlled my life but me, and it was awesome. Until I got near Scott's house and I forgot that this super nosy friend of the family lived next door to Scott and she was standing outside in her driveway. And I was certain that she saw me and I knew if she saw me she was going to tell my parents and then I would never get my driver's license. And so I panicked and drove back home. But for those few minutes, it was a freedom I had never known. What is it that makes you feel free? What is it that makes you feel free? This morning, we are wrapping up our series called For, where we have been talking about the things that God is for, instead of what the world usually hears from us, which is the things that God is against. 
What are the things and, and really the people that are closest to the heart of God? The first week we talked about God's heart for the marginalized, and then last week you all learned what a terrible pastor and shepherd I am as we talked about God's heart for the lost. Apparently not my heart, but God's heart, thankfully. And then this morning as we close the series, we're going to be talking about a group that at first glance you may think you do not fit into. But I want you to hang in there with me because I think that this has a much broader meaning than we might initially think. This morning we are talking about God's heart for the captive. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of the word captive or when you think about people who are held in captivity, but I am guessing that for most of us, it conjures up images of people who are, well, not us. Maybe you think of prisoners of war, brave men and women in our military who went missing in action, Maybe you think about countries with dictators where the government is, is so, has such a scary amount of control over the people that maybe they don't even realize it. Maybe when you think of people in captivity, you think of famous kidnappings or you think about people being held hostages and bank robberies. Maybe you think of human trafficking. Maybe you think about all of the people in our country who are incarcerated who don't deserve to be. Maybe you think about our country's history with slavery. If you've been in the church for a long time, you maybe think about that time when God told Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go, as the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. Captivity is an enormous and constant theme in the Bible, as God's people were in and out of captivity multiple times throughout the Old Testament. In fact, a couple of weeks ago when we started this series, we mentioned the book of Isaiah. <clears throat> in this book, God's people had once again, once again turned their back on God, which they did often. And God sent a prophet to his people, and that prophet's name was Isaiah. Why did God send Isaiah? He sent him to get them to turn back to God and to tell his people about a king who was to come, a king who was coming to save them, a king unlike any king they had ever known before. And so we're going to look once more at Isaiah chapter 61 we're just going to look right at the first verse, chapter 61, verse 1. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. Now, if you were here a couple weeks ago, you might remember that. And you might remember that a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this passage in the New Testament, that just after Jesus began his earthly ministry, he goes into the temple and he unrolls the scroll and he stands up and he reads this exact passage in the book of Isaiah or from the book of Isaiah. And he says that that exact passage is fulfilled today because of him, that, that he himself, Jesus, is the fulfillment of that scripture. Why did Jesus come? To proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. So one of Jesus's priorities here on earth was to proclaim freedom for the captives. That passage, as a prophecy, would have made sense to the people that Isaiah spoke to in that book because they knew what it was to be held captive, to be 
to be slaves, to be people who were not free. But by the time Jesus comes, God's people, for the most part, are free. I mean, sure, they live under the Roman government, but they, most of them are not enslaved any longer. They're not being held captive. They're free to live and to work and to play as they please. They can be fishermen or tax collectors or rabbis. They can have families. They can travel. They can make pilgrimages to Jerusalem for their high holy holidays if they want to. They are free people. So why, why was it one of Jesus' priorities to proclaim freedom for the captive? Well, this is precisely why I wanted to talk about this today, because I truly believe that while Jesus came to free the captive, the captive might not be who you think they are. To be clear, there were slaves during Jesus' time, and Jesus is clear throughout the New Testament that he came to break down all that divided humanity. Right? Paul reminds us in the book of Galatians that in Christ you are children of God through faith. He says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves in Christ. Therefore, there is no longer Jew or Gentile. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to this promise. God never intended for us to decide who is in and who is out. We are God's children, and that has always been God's call. And God made it known that if you have said yes to Jesus, the dividing lines that humanity created don't matter to God. You are his child, you belong, you are welcomed. And this is just one of a thousand reasons why humanity has always seen the church as hypocritical, right? The text is clear that Jesus came to upend that which divides us. It's clear that God intended humanity to be valued and to be loved equally, that it's not God but humanity that established these hierarchies of who we value and who we don't. And yet, for starters, the church at large has this horrendous history of using Scripture to defend slavery. For hundreds and hundreds of years, the church used the Bible to defend slavery, despite what the Bible actually says. It's why we have to be so careful not to pull this text out of context, and it's why we have to read Scripture in community, because out of context, we can make the Bible say anything that we want it to say to back up our opinion that we think is right. That's a sermon for another day. Point being, there was slavery in Jesus' time, and when he said that he came to, be, to serve as the fulfillment of that prophecy from Isaiah, the actual physical slaves at that time were part of the list that Jesus was talking about when he said that he came to proclaim freedom for the captives. But I'm also confident that Jesus meant much more than that. Freedom means different things to different people, doesn't it? When you're a kid, freedom is elusive. You always want the freedom afforded to, to the age that you haven't quite reached. When you're three, you want to be in a big kid bed like your sister. Or you want to go to school like your brother. When you're 10, you want to be able to stay home alone like your 12-year-old neighbor. When you're 14, you want to drive like your 16-year-old brother. When you're 17, you want to be able to leave home to go to college to make your own choices like you can when you're 18. We spend our, our whole childhood wishing for freedoms that are just outside our grasp. And then we become adults, and freedom suddenly looks a little different to each one of us. 
Some of us long for the freedom to travel all over the world. For some of us, freedom feels like that next promotion at work or the opportunity to become our own boss. For some, freedom is our kids being old enough to start school. For some, it's our kids getting old enough to go off to school. For some, freedom is is what we get on the weekends when we're not at work. And for others, freedom is finishing this big project. We all wish for financial freedom, but even that looks different for each one of us. But none of those are even the freedoms that I am talking about. Because Jesus said that God sent, sent Jesus to proclaim freedom for the captives. And while we sometimes like to get all dramatic and pretend like our jobs and our families and our responsibilities are holding us captive, for the most part, for most of us, that's not really true. But if we're honest, which most of us don't like to be when it comes to this kind of stuff, there are many things that do hold us captive. Many of us, for instance, are held captive by addiction. Now, our church happens to have a lot of people from the recovery community, and I'm certainly talking to you, but I hate to break it to you, you're not that special. You just happen to be the ones who are brave enough and willing enough to admit your addiction. So many others in this room are battling addictions that nobody knows anything about. In September of 2018, addictions specialist David Scourfield wrote an article on the top 10 addictions in modern society. He said, we feel that it is very important to make a list of the most influential and significant addictions that damage lives in modern society. And this is what he said they are. Number one, and they're not in any particular order, coffee. More than five cups of coffee a day, to be clear. It says it right there. I didn't write that. (laughs) Number two, tobacco and nicotine. Three, alcohol. Four, sex. Five, illegal and prescription drugs. Six is gambling. Seven is the internet and modern technology. How many of you have iPhones that on Sunday morning send you a recap of how much screen time you had this week? It's a rude awakening. Number eight, video games. Number nine, food. And number 10, work. And that is by no means an exhaustive list of all of the things that our culture is addicted to. That's just the top 10. The problem is that most of us don't think it's a problem. But those who are brave enough to own it will tell you that addiction is addiction is addiction. And they will also tell you that addiction holds us captive. Whatever it is that we are addicted to calls the shots in our life. Our time, our energy, our money, and our thoughts go toward our addiction. Our schedule is usually based around our addiction. How we interact with others is affected by our addiction. How we feel about ourselves is determined by our addiction. And what is the literal definition from the dictionary of captive? A person who has been taken prisoner, someone who has no freedom to avoid something, someone who is controlled by something or someone else. Addiction holds us captive. What else? What about our thoughts? There's a verse in the book of Galatians that says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 
So if we are taking something captive, it means that we have control of it, right? So we are charged in Scripture with taking control of our thoughts so that we can willfully submit them to Jesus. And why are we being charged with that kind of a task? Because most of us don't hold our thoughts captive. Most of us are held captive by our thoughts. How many of you would be absolutely mortified if everyone around you knew what you were really thinking half the time? You can raise your hands, that's fine. Right? Why is that? Maybe your thoughts are mean. Maybe your thoughts are hurtful to other people. Maybe on the outside you look like you have it all together, but on the inside your world is falling apart and you don't want anyone to know. Maybe you are calm and cool on the outside, but your mind is this never-ending tornado of worry and anxiety that you would be embarrassed to let other people see. Maybe you appear to be a super kind and compassionate churchy person to others, but inside you're actually quite judgmental and passive-aggressive and critical. Maybe everyone knows you to be a kind and gracious person, but the way you speak to or over or about yourself is horrifically cruel. Many of us are held captive by our thoughts. We have excused our thoughts with this, this kind of, well, we are what we are mentality. We've all got these well-worn paths in our minds from thinking a certain type of way instead of really working to learn to take our thoughts captive to submit them to Christ. Instead, we just continue on because no one really needs to know what's going on up here, right? And really, addiction and what we do with our thoughts are both under the umbrella of the ultimate thing to which we are held captive, which is sin. Now, if you were here last week, I talked about how I know that sin is the super gross churchy word that conjures up like images of televangelists with really bad hair and hellfire and all that. But that sin is really just anything that separates us from God. It's anything that we choose instead of God. It's anything that we put in front of or over God. And scripture tells us that we are slaves to sin, that we are held captive by sin. So when Jesus said that he came to proclaim freedom for the captive, if we are all slaves to sin, that means that Jesus came to proclaim freedom for us, for all of us, for you and for me. Listen to this passage from Romans as I read it from the message translation. So, since we're out from under the old tyranny, does that mean we can live any old way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to mind? Hardly. You know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that actually destroy freedom. Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. But offer yourself to the ways of God, and freedom never quits. All your lives, you've let sin tell you what to do. But thank God you've started listening to a new master, one whose command set you free to live openly in his freedom. He writes, I'm using this freedom language because it's easy to picture. You can readily recall, can't you, how at one time, the more you did just what you felt like doing not caring about others, not caring about God, the worse your life became and the less freedom you had. And how much different is it now as you live in God's freedom? Your lives healed, 
Your lives are expansive in holiness. As long as you did what you felt like doing, ignoring God, you didn't have to bother with right thinking or right living or right anything for that matter. But do you call that a free life? What did you get out of it? Nothing you're proud of now. And where did it get you? A dead end. But now that you've found it, you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do. You've discovered the delight of listening, listening to God telling you. What a surprise. A whole, healed, put-together life right now, with more and more of life on the way. Work hard for sin your whole life and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered by Jesus, our Master. All who sin are slaves to sin. All who sin are trapped in their sin. And I have a sneaking suspicion that whether we want to admit it or not, all of us know what it feels like to be trapped by sin. Even those of us who have been hearing the promises of Jesus for most of our lives, we still struggle feeling trapped in sin. And before we know it, that lie becomes a part of our identity. We allow ourselves to become the thing that we are trapped in, and no matter how good a job we do at putting on a different face for other people, in our heart of hearts, we consider ourselves the sum total of what we have done wrong. We have lost sight of who God says that we are. For many of us, it wasn't necessarily some big event, but as we talked about last week with that hiker, it was a series of little choices, 80 little steps, right? Maybe it started with a little lie to yourself or to somebody else, and then you had to lie to cover up that lie, and before you knew it, you didn't even recognize your own life. And now you've lost your job, or you've lost your marriage, or you had to file for bankruptcy, or you no longer speak to your family, or, or for some of you, your, your choices haven't necessarily outwardly affected other people yet, so the people in your life haven't noticed yet. So even as you're listening here this morning, you don't feel trapped in the sin itself as much as you feel trapped in the constant and terrifying need to cover it up, to not be found out. For others of you, maybe it was some kind of moment in time you've been able to feel maybe forgiven and freed by like 99% of the mistakes you've made or the poor choices you've made, but there's that one thing, that one instant that one decision, that one screw-up, that one choice, and no one else knows about it and it eats you alive, or other people do know about it and you're convinced that that's all they ever see when they look at you, and therefore you think that that's all that God sees when he looks at you, and so you've deduced your entire life down to one moment in time and you feel trapped. This is also what it means to be held captive. But why did Jesus come here again? to proclaim freedom for the captive. You are not meant to live your life captive to your addiction, captive to your thoughts, captive to your sin. We were created for freedom. I'm assuming, or rather hoping, that everyone in here is familiar with Harriet Tubman. Harriet was an abolitionist, and she put her life on the line over and over and over again to rescue slaves using what became known as the Underground Railroad. She was a woman of deep, deep faith, and it was her faith that both compelled and propelled her to continue such dangerous work for the sake of other people. As a quick aside, if you have not seen the movie Harriet, you should watch it. 
In my mind, growing up as a kid, when I learned about Harriet Tubman, I thought that she was some kind of like cool mastermind behind the Underground Railroad, like an engineer of sorts, which she was. But I didn't realize until much later in life how in the thick of it she was with the slaves that she tried to free. If they had to walk from the south all the way to Maryland, she was right beside them. She did that trip 13 times, back and forth, just herself. Not only was there this constant, constant danger of getting caught everywhere she went, but imagine all that they had to endure on such a journey, the weather and the food and water shortages and finding places to sleep where they would be safe. Why did she do it? She said once, I heard their groans and sighs and seen their tears, and I would give every drop of blood in my veins to free them. And she did. And she did it because she had a savior in Jesus who gave every drop of his blood to free her first. But one of the quotes from Harriet Tubman that I found most interesting was when she said, I freed a thousand slaves. I could have freed a thousand more if only they knew they were slaves. Most of us are walking through this life held captive by something. Our past, our addictions, our thoughts, our anxiety, our fear. And we have a Savior who not only would, but did give every drop of his blood so that we would be free. But we first have to admit that which holds us captive. So what is that for you? And are you willing to be set free? I saw a cartoon on Facebook last week that had a, it was like a big giant bear walking down the road with this little bunny. And the bunny looks up at the bear and says, what's the bravest thing you've ever said? And the bear responded, help. And I couldn't agree more. I'm not so good at it myself. But the bravest thing that we can say is help. We were not meant to live as those held captive. Whatever is holding you captive is keeping you from living the abundant life for which you were created and to which Jesus offers you. But remember, remember that we have a God who specializes in rolling stones away. And so I pray that you would allow God to put his hand on whatever it is that is holding you captive so that you are able to experience the freedom for which you were made. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, we live in a, <clears throat> in a culture that allows us to, to be held captive by so many things. It gives us permission to. It's so easy to look around and find a million other people who are struggling with the same thing that we're struggling with. And so instead of admitting it, we just continue to live into it we just say that's, that's who we are. We are who we are. But God, I pray this morning that you would remind each one of us that we weren't meant just to live this life. We were not only meant to thrive, but we were meant to live abundantly. All of the gifts that you have, you meant for us to have. All of the gifts that you have, you have given us access to. And every day we continue to choose less. Every day you offer us freedom, and every day we choose captivity. And so, God, I pray that you would give us the courage today to say the bravest thing of all, which is help. 
that we would allow you, God, to put your hand on whatever it is that is holding us captive. And that we would allow you to begin the work of helping us to be set free. We thank you, God, for the freedom that you have given to us. And we pray today that you would help us to claim it. In your holy name we pray.